It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a magic marker. A, a felt pen. It's a mistake. It's a trap. It's a fucking comedy. It's quiet. Maybe too quiet. It's all happening. It's a good day to die. It's a good day to talk about movies. Welcome back. It is a good day to talk to Brie Elrod. I am your host, Duncan. Joining me as always are Gardner. Hey, hey. And Taryn. What's up, guys? Today we have a very special interview. Very shortly, we're going to be joined by Brie Elrod, who just starred in the feature film Red Rocket, which was written and directed by Sean Baker. Brie has been in the acting business for a while, and we were lucky enough to sit down with her and discuss her role as Lexi in Red Rocket. This was really a treat. I had a blast talking to Brie. We got some really great stories from her about being on set. So that's something to look forward to. Gardner Tarn, what did you think? Loved the behind the scenes peek. And she was just a joy with uh, answering all of our questions that we had. Yeah, she was more than happy to talk to us about anything and everything going into the production of this film and earlier films in her career. Can't thank Bree enough for coming on to do this interview. I had a great time. I think it's going to be a really fantastic listen, you guys. Yeah, we all say this is a great interview. We're about to get to it. But before we go any further, we do need to do a quick spoiler warning. This is a spoiler warning for Red Rocket. Red Rocket is a new film which is out in theaters now and will be on streaming soon. If you don't want it spoiled, get out to theaters, go see it. And for everyone else, that was your spoiler warning. Now that we've got everything out of the way, let's get right to the interview. Here it is, right now, our interview with Brie Elrod. We are joined today by a very special guest. Actor Brie Elrod is here today to talk to us about starring in the new feature film Red Rocket from director Sean Baker. Brie, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. (laughs) Good to be here. Thank you. So Red Rocket is in theaters now and Brie plays Lexi in the film. Brie is known for starring in Red Rocket as well as her part in Shutter Island and her lead role in the film Dark Feed. Among other things. Oh my God, deep cuts. You guys did some research. <laughs> we're, uh, we're really excited to get to talk to you about um, all of that today. But before we go any further, how'd I do on that background? That's great. That was, that was, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I haven't thought about Dark Feet in a very long time, but yeah, it's creepy and uh, it was an experience. Yeah, it was, it was a wild ride. It seems like a lot of the films that I've done before this, well, a lot, meaning like two, were in mental institutions, like our former mental institutions, <laughs> Shutter Island being one of them and uh, Dark Feet and yeah, just me wandering around old warehouses basically. Outside of Massachusetts, outside of Boston. (laughs) So we'd love to start off with your new film, Red Rocket. Yeah. And to start off, we'd love to know how you got involved in the project and how much you knew about Sean Baker prior to signing on to the film. Sure, sure. Um, I had seen The Florida Project. Um, I went to NYU grad acting with Samantha Kwan, who is a producer on Red Rocket, also partners with Sean Baker. And so we've known each other for a while. So I knew that she had worked on that, sh- that uh, film and I watched it and I was completely blown away. I thought it was so beautiful and touching and hard and dark and just, you know, it was really a lovely work. And so I remember reaching out to her, telling her how much I loved that. Um, But Sammy and I have kind of been in touch over the years. 
And, you know, I was doing a show in Portland, Oregon. I was doing a play um, at Portland Center Stage and it had just closed due to COVID. And, you know, of course, everyone's like, oh, it's just going to be a couple of weeks. Then we're going to fire this thing right back up, you know, and then fast forward and the all theater is basically dark in the country for a year and still having issues coming back. Um, so I was in this kind of existential, like, oh God, you know, what's happening? Am I ever going to be able to, you know, share art again? Like, are people ever going to feel comfortable being together in a room again, either, you know, seeing a play or... And um, I ended up staying in Portland for a while and Sammy Kwan called me and said, you know, we, uh, Sean and I were going to be working on this film in Canada, um, but because it's in Canada and it required a lot of people, we're going to have to pivot, you know, the word of the pandemic, everyone pivot, we're pivoting. Um, so they're like, we have to pivot. He's working on this passion project that he's kind of had in his mind and on the back burner that he and Chris have been kind of working on. It's, um, you know, about a washed up porn star, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I just, she said, I just feel like you would be really great for this part. I just, I, she's like, I don't know. I just, we've been thinking about trying to think of who would do this and who could, you know, find their way in. And she's like, I just feel like you would be right for it. And I was like, okay, well, what is it? And she's like, well, she's a heroin addicted former porn star. And I was like, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. that seems, that seems right. That, that's in my wheelhouse. So she said, can you put yourself on tape for this? And she gave me a monologue. At the time, um, they were still writing um, Red Rocket. So I auditioned with something completely different. And uh, she basically was like, okay, so just like no makeup, just very, you know, just to the camera, just very, you know, natural. And I really worked hard on that audition. Of course, I was by myself and I had nothing else. You know, there was nothing else going on. I wasn't going to do a play at night. So I was like, I am going to work my ass off on this audition. And then I submitted it and a couple hours later, Sammy called me and was like, Sean was like, that's Lexi. That's, that's Lexi. So I, you know, so of course at the time I was, I was like, well, that's cool. That's an amazing thing to have happen during a global pandemic. But at the same time, it still seems so very far away because it didn't seem like something I was like, oh sure. Yeah. We'll just go make a movie. And there were so many hurdles, honestly, I have to say the fact that this movie is where it is, meaning like that it is in theaters and that it is, has got the, it's got getting the reception that it has been getting is just, it's really amazing. Cause I, the fact that it was even made is a goddamn miracle. So. <laughs> well, we definitely feel like uh, you in particular uh, did an amazing job with your performance and in creating this like really believable character. So once, once you knew that you had the role, how did you prepare to get into character? Did you come up with a backstory for her? Did Sean give you something about that? Um, well, I watched, watched a lot of porn. Um, and, um, no, I mean, I mean, actually, I did actually I did watch a lot of porn, but um, <laughs> there are porn documentaries out there that are fascinating and really eye opening to this multi-million dollar industry that nobody likes to talk about. Um, and I, I, I definitely I dug into um, the soft white underbelly, which is a series on YouTube um, mm -hmm. where this man interviews people who are on in LA's kind of skid row area and many are addicted, many are sex workers, many are homeless. And I just kind of wanted to hear their stories. Um, I have a friend who works with sex workers in Brazil that I talked to a little bit. 
And yeah, I created a backstory for myself um, of uh, what I, where I thought she came from and hardships that she may have faced. And also Sean um, said that he met so many people in the porn industry that he kind of loosely based these characters off of. Like he knew an actual couple that met in high school, uh, went to LA, they, they lived in Texas, they went to LA together, they were a porn couple. And so I think he was kind of inspired by their story. And so we were based off of the, you know, many stories, but these two people in particular. So yeah, it was, it was a wild ride uh, finding Lexi. Were there any fun aspects of the backstory that you can share with us today? I, I mean, I always, I, I, I always thought that like Lexi had, um, you know, a love of um, dance, like, and of, like, that she was really, in, like, inspired by dance, like, dancing, and, um, uh, like, break dancing and, like, stuff that I just, I, there's something about, like, playful, like, the playfulness of a human body that I always thought, like, Lexi, like, I imagined that maybe a lot of her porn was, like, dance-inspired, like, ballerinas, get it up the butt, you know, like, that kind of thing. I don't know. I just, like, kind of imagined that that's, like, I don't know why, but that's, that's one little morsel that I was, like, oh, you know, like, I can imagine little Lexi being, like, I'm gonna be a ballerina when I get older, and maybe she was in one of her porn films. Who knows? Did that inform uh, the physicality of the role to you, kind of the way Lexi carried herself? A little bit, you know, a little bit. I definitely felt like um, I, I, the way that she walked, um, you know, I tried to kind of have her with her, like, you know, her shoulders back a little bit. I didn't want to like, I didn't want to do some kind of fucked up stereotype of what a woman may be in that area or in that position. I really kind of was trying to, you know, find some morsels of hope for Lexi. Mm. And so I hope to find that in my physicality too. I didn't want her to feel like this rundown. I wanted to feel like she still felt like she looked, you know, she had, you know, she was struggling, but she still, you know, could turn it on for Lonnie if she needed to. And, you know. I think you definitely accomplished that in, well, thank you. in your performance for sure. <laughs> thank no you. Problem, of course. So talking about being on set and I know you spoke about how you got involved with the film and with with Sean but can you talk about being on set with him and what that was like because I I just his work is very uh it's I love it yeah <clears throat> you know it kind of you know he he says this too so I'm not this is not in any kind of way and trying to say a disservice to him but he says that it felt very much like a student film the way that we were making it because it was COVID and we had to have such a small crew we had to have such a small group of people everyone was getting COVID tested every three days so I think this process in particular was very kind of just like by the balls I mean we were just trying so hard to keep this afloat because honestly the stakes were so high that if anyone got COVID we probably would have had to shut down the entire thing because the budget was so small that we couldn't afford to be like, okay, well, everyone go quarantine for two weeks in Dallas or Houston. And then, no, we couldn't do that. So like, it was, I felt like, you know, it was, there was this precarious energy that I actually feel like kind of infused itself into the film, which I think it totally works that there's just kind of this air of like, something's happening in the world right now, you know, and I think also it being set in 2016, you know, I think Sean was kind of, you know, there is this kind of like 
what the fuck is about to happen, you know, all through the movie. And then as it unfolds, you're like, oh, that's not what I thought was going to happen, you know. Um, but I would say like on the daily, Sean is just such a generous, um, kind collaborator. Um, he listens to the actors. He listens to um, the camera. Uh, I mean, director of photography. He's, he is so open to finding the story together. I did not feel, of course he has like very strong opinions about things and there are ways that he wanted things done. Um, he's very specific and one in particular is the funniest story to me is that he really wanted, um, you know, he, he wanted to capture the moment of Lexi standing outside uh, talking to the news people. So Lexi's like, you know, oh, you know, it all happened. And I just, you know, he's such a good neighbor and all this whole thing. And the, the lighting guy, Chris Hill, who's so amazing, set up this like amazing um, lighting rig with like the cop lights and everything that's like going outside of the house. So in the scene where they're looking out, you can see, and then she runs out to, to it. And so that night, Chris Hill's like, well, we have everything set up. Why don't we just have the lights going and Brie can just like, the lights will be in the background. And Sean was like, oh no, we, we have to find a cop car. Like we have to, we have to find a cop. Like we have to do it in front of like a cop. And, and everyone's like, but we have light, like lights will look like it. He's like, that's not, we, that's not. So like my last night, one of my last nights in town was me and Sean and Chi Ching like, in a car driving around looking for cops in Port Arthur and like, like looking in every parking lot, chasing down a cop on the, the likelihood. I mean, on the off chance that they would be willing to be in the background of a freaking shot anyway, but we found one and um, it was really funny. We like pulled into this parking lot. We were like, oh, there's a cop, pull over. So we like got out and um, she was like, what's this for? You know, she was really kind of, you know, and that's kind of where Sean just is so easy, easily able to put on this like kind of schoolboy student film charm. He's like, oh, we're just filming this thing, you know, and we're just, you know, we're out trying to get real people, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then she was like, well, you know, I have been on the news before, uh, you know, I have been. And then she kind of launched into like her like experience of like being in like a small town. I, or actually, I think she might've even been on the national like I don't know, like manhunt episode. I don't know. Anyway, point was she was kind of tickled to be included. So she's like, okay, you can do it in front of the car. I just have to see it afterwards. And so we did it in front of a cop car. And so every time I see that scene, it makes me smile because like the, the rogue filmmaking that went into that is like so, so hilarious and special. And it really, yeah, it's such a funny story. Is that you feel pretty emblematic of like the experience of shooting this film because I will say when I was watching it it felt so naturalistic particularly a lot of the dialogue just feels like it could not be scripted like it just feels so natural was there a lot of ad-libbing and improvisation on set Yes, I, I think when we were talking about it, we feel like, um, I think we've, we decided that it's about 80% scripted and 20% uh, improvised. So I, I think that, that it, there is this kind of like a natural playfulness and it does feel very easy because, <clears throat> well, you've got, you know, you've got some talented people who are saying them, but you also like, uh, you've got people who are improvising amazing stuff. And it is really, it, 
some of these scenes. So basically what we would do is we would do like two or three takes that were clean, you know, by the script. And then about like the fourth take or whatever, he'd say, okay, let's just wheels off just whatever you guys want to do, you know, just like, go go for it. And um, yeah. And it's so fun to me when we were watching it, uh, Simon and I got to watch it for the first time together in a screening room by ourselves that um, A24 provided for us. And some of those moments we were just like, oh my God, that made the cut. Like, or, you know, there's, a line that I, um, where he's, he's packing up and he's folding his clothes. And I said like, oh, you should work at the gap. <laughs> and I'm so glad that line made it. In. I'm like, oh yeah, the gap line made it. In. Um, you know, and then like, you know, Susie's like uh, line where, you know, he's like, are you trying to get fired? And she's like, I'm trying to get hired, you know, and that was all Susie, you know? So like each, every, I feel like everyone in the cast had just uh, there is a morsel in there that is like so beautiful and it is purely created by them. And, and if you think about it, that's kind of like the beauty of this, this film is that there are first time actors who are improvising. Like that is fucking hard. Like improvising is hard for like a trained actor, let alone you get a fucking like somebody who's like, well, I've never done it. And then you're like, go ahead and just play in this world and like they did it and they were amazing so I mean I just I have such respect for the first time actors in this film can you talk about a little bit working with some of those actors like Ethan Darbone and Brenda Dice did you impart any tips and advice on them or did you learn some from them maybe Oh my God. Yes. I feel like, you know, I did all this research and had studied and then I showed up and I met Brenda and I was like, okay. I was like, okay, here we go. Like I, you know, was studying her, you know, I was watching her mannerisms and I'm like, who is the daughter that comes from Brenda, you know, like who, or not Brenda, but Lil, you know? And, um, I started to watch how she would smoke her cigarettes and how she'd sit in a chair and how she'd say things. And I'd say like, do, now, can I say this? Does this sound right to you? You know, cause she grew up in the area and she was such a gift um, to the whole project. But um, yeah, I mean, most of my scenes are with her. So like, you know, I'm showing up being like, okay, all of my scenes are with, you know, this woman that Sean found outside of a porta potty um, <laughs> when he was location scouting. I hope it goes well. And uh, she's a fucking rock star. I mean, and but that said, I mean, of course, like there are certain things that she didn't know. And that I mean, she had to learn as she went, like she was trying to smoke real cigarettes for like every take. And I was like, Brenda, you can't do that. She's like, I like cigarettes, but this is too much. I was like, yeah, no. I was like, please have some of my herbals. Like, please don't keep, I mean, I was like, you are going to, she already was like suffering from some like COPD and I'm like, this is not good for Um, But you know, and Ethan was just like such a natural and he was just so excited and so game and same with Brit and uh, Brit who plays June was just like so um, happy to be there and like really just, you know, I, I was so impressed with the way, because you know, she basically has to run that sabotage scene at the end. I mean, it's like all her. And she was just such a badass. And and I really, I love hearing her talk about her process and like how she was discovered, like walking her dog. And she actually works at a refinery. She worked at a refinery, the one that's right behind the donut hole. 
Um, and she was laid off due to COVID. And so it's just by chance that she was out that day walking little Rico when freaking Sean Baker and Alex Coco rolled up and were like, hey, have you seen the Florida project? And she's like, no. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, well, do you want to go home and here, like watch it? And then if you want to be in a film that I'm doing and then she watches, she's like, yeah. <laughs> I love that story. But yeah, they added such an authenticity to the entire project that it would just be a completely different film had they not been in it. And I, like I said, they were a gift to this um, experience and also to, I think, the end result, the end product. Do you think it also helped shooting on location in Texas? Oh, yeah. What was that like? I mean, I maybe had been down there once before, but it had been a long time. And driving into that area, I don't know if you guys have been down there, but like, it's just like refineries and it's, and it's smoky, you know, it's ominous. It's, it's a very, you're, there's so much power. There's so much money. There's so much danger. Like, I mean, they have these drills that are there and even like Brenda, like has kind of this eye thing. And, and I asked her how, you know, her eye and she was like, well, you know, they usually send off the sirens when something's in the air, but you know, um, they didn't. And so I got home and I was just blind in this eye. And I'm like, oh my God. And then like, there was another guy that's like, now you're not drinking the water down here, are you? And I'm like, well, I was, but now I'm not, I'm going to go and buy like gallon. I mean, it is dangerous down there. And I think that's what Sean was drawn to. I think he was really intrigued by the landscape of it all. Um, he liked the background of the refineries uh, as kind of this strange, like, almost like otherworldly, like place, like Mad Max meets Emerald City meets, I mean, it's just like kind of, it's, it, it's startling. And so um, I think he would, and I felt the same way being there. Um, I was just like, wow, this is a, you know, and we shot in Texas city, we stayed in Galveston and Galveston is a very different town. You know, Galveston's such a like beautiful little cuckoo, like liberal enclave in Texas and, and Texas city is just more of a, you know, middle-class um, community. And so they have very different feels, but I would say that, you know, everyone we worked with and ran across in Texas city was lovely and wonderful. And I, I didn't feel like weird being there. I didn't feel like, Oh, this feels so strange. This is, I mean, it just, to me, honestly, the weirdest part was just the, the proximity of the refineries and just like feeling that energy and the house that we shot in, it's like, right. I mean, you see it, it's right there. And they chose that because it is, I mean, they're actually, the refiners are trying to buy that house. Of course they want to buy all of it, but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a, it's kind of, it's amazing that people live down there. <laughs> it's amazing. Was there any issue with sound? I would imagine that those places would be pretty loud and you yeah. guys are pretty damn close to it. Yeah, there definitely was some sound and there's definitely, um, we had, we were, we had uh, body mics on the entire time and we had some boom um, uh, operating going on for most of it. So we were pretty well covered as, you know, because of sound, because we were body mic'd, but yeah, definitely. We did have to pause and like, there'd be like, you know, and then we'd get, of course you get people driving by and be like, what are you guys doing? You know? And then the scene, apparently I wasn't there when they were filming this, but the scene where Simon's getting, uh, or Mikey's getting the shit kicked out of him in the parking lot outside of the donut hole, apparently like they had to, I mean, it was like 
tons of people be like, get him, you know, like people driving by me like, yeah, fuck him up. Like people thinking it was like really happening. And, and so they had to like, you know, adjust for the sound, you know, they'd be like, okay, we can't have people driving by. I mean, that would be funny, but that's a different story. We're not telling that. So, so yeah, there are definitely some sounds to be contended with down there. <laughs> I want the bystanders cut. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the I know. With those people yelling that <laughs> in the know. background. I know. I do too. I know. It's so funny. I, I can only imagine what people down there thought when they saw that or, you know, several scenes, I mean, but that we were filming and, you know, when they filmed at Ocean's Strip Club and they had people who were there who were actually there to watch, you know, so it, it was um, certainly an interest. Well, when Simon, when Mikey's running naked, you know, that was also like, a, I mean, I love it because you can kind of see the fear in Mikey's face, but it's also Simon being like, holy shit, I'm running naked next to a refinery in the middle of the night. Like this is fucking crazy. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it was, it was insane. Have you happened to keep in touch with the local actors y'all found and heard about how the movie has been received by the people that live in the area? And to see like what came out of the random naked person that might, they might've seen running down the street. (laughs) That's a good question. I have not heard about that. You know, fortunately Brit uh, who plays June was able to come to a lot of the festivals. So we were able to kind of, we were able to hang out and uh, through many times last year. And it was so awesome to see her on the regular. I mean, just to be like, see her on the, like the red carpet of can and be like, here we are. Holy shit. Texas City, the fucking red carpet again. And, you know, so she kind of keeps me, you know, in the loop about what's going on, but I, I don't really know. I, one of my favorite uh, festivals that was like very important for me to attend was the Houston uh, Cinema Arts Festival um, because I wanted to be there with the people who made the film. You know, that was the closest, Houston was the closest we showed at festival wise. Um, and so a lot of the people from the film came up from Texas City and Port Arthur to see it. And I tell you, I'll tell you what, because honestly, like I said, most of my scenes are in this house with Brenda. I have one scene in the donut shop. So like I didn't see these people on the regular. And I'll tell you what, when they showed up at like this party, opening night party before we all watched the film or before they got to see the film for the first time, I was starstruck. I was like, oh my God, you're the interviewer in the beginning and you're like, do this thing. And oh my, oh my God, you're the woman with the gun who tells them to go, oh my God. I was like so excited to see everyone. And they're like, yeah, I guess. And they were like, who are you? And I'm like, oh, you'll see it in the movie. You know, like, because they didn't know who I was. So it was great. I mean, it was just like that going to Houston, and sharing this with the people who are in the film, it was really great. And, you know, Sean was introducing the film and like there was a woman, actually the woman who plays the older uh, inter- interview at the beginning, who's like, oh my, that is you. You know, <laughs> She's so good. But she was like yelling like, you know, Houston loves you, Texas loves you, Sean, you know? And I, I would like to think, I would like to hope that people in the community are um, excited about it and think it's fun. Um, I think Sean would be really upset if he thought that the people of the community were embarrassed or thought it was a stereotype or some kind of poverty porn. Um, I think it's very important to Sean that he accurately as much as possible represents the community in which he's filming, even though it is a fictional story, you know? Um, so I, I, but I would love to hear what people in Texas City are, are thinking about it. Um, 
yeah, <laughs> I'd be curious. So you touched on the ending briefly where, or the big point in the ending or the, the big, the crowd pleaser, I should call it when he's running naked down the streets. Um, <laughs> so we wanted to ask uh, a question about the ending and what you kind of thought about the ending and what happens to your character at the end of the film and maybe what happens at once the camera stops rolling. I know, I think Gardner, you had a, a theory on, on I mean, what happens. Yeah. <laughs> my theory, it's not the nicest maybe, but my theory is that um, uh, they just take the money uh, from Mikey and they just use it to buy more heroin. I would <laughs> like to think, you know, that they do something better with it, mm -hmm. but that's kind of like, with everything else going on in the film, that's kind of what I think they probably would do. But I'm, yeah. I'm more curious to hear kind of what you think happens to your character and, and to everyone else. I mean, that is that is a definite possibility. I, I definitely thought about that. You know, I think I, I would like to think that Lexi is gonna is gonna change some stuff up and is going to like, you know, use the money for, you know, finally trying to figure out maybe hiring a lawyer to get her kid back and fighting for her kid, you know, like, I think maybe there's something in her that's like, I thought this guy was my fucking ticket to get my kid back. It's obviously not, I'm going to use this to like, I just, I need to get my kid back. That's that to me when they're breaking up breaking up when he says he's going to leave. Um, I think that that's, at least that's what I was kind of internalizing. There was a lot going on while I was processing what he was saying, but I think one of it was the, him leaving also was uh, the, the chance of her using him to get her son back. And so I think that at least to me, I'd like to believe that, you know, she is like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to change some shit up and I'm going to try to get my son but yeah, there's also the likelihood that they're just like, hey, let's call, let's call our dealer and just get some more. But yeah, it's open. I like your interpretation better. Yeah, you know, I always like to, I want to, I want to believe, you know, when I was in a school for acting, they, um, one of the things that one of our teachers said that I always really loved was like, you always have to protect the possibility of a happy ending. And that is like, basically just such a great thing to say for like an actor, because it's like, you never want to play the end at the beginning of a scene. You never want to be like, I'm coming in, you know, like you don't want to be knowing. So it's like, why not protect the possibility of a happy ending? So for me, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to protect Lexi's possibility of a happy ending. <laughs> of course that could be interpreted in, in porn terms. I realize that as well, but I'm, I'm not saying happy ending in that way. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> So we know that we are getting to the end of our time with you, which is sad, but we do <laughs> appreciate it. We have a couple wrap up questions, if that's all right with you, just yes, um, some brief ones. Yeah. We wanted to ask you as a whole, if you could touch on some of the differences in experiences you've had working across the different projects that you've worked on and their various directors ranging from, you know, you've worked on a short film to Red Rocket and then Shutter Island, obviously, with Scorsese. So we were just wondering if you could talk about just the differences that you've seen in because you've had opportunities that I think a lot of actors would love um, the chance to have, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, my opportunities have been limited. I have not had, uh, you know, I certainly have not had Simon Rex's film experience. Um, so I would say on the, the tiny amounts that I have had have been varied because of the different level of 
projects. And one of them, you know, the dark feed I did purely because I wanted uh, experience doing film. You know, I'd never really done a ton of film. So I'd done some national commercials. I'd done a few things like that. But I was like, I really just want to feel what it's like to do a movie to film something that's like passion project for these these two guys and it, I learned a lot in the process um and with uh Shutter Island it was a completely different experience obviously because the budget is just outrageous and I'm wearing like a you know thousand dollar wig that looks like I caught it myself which is like how is this but um and, you know, and, and it's, uh, there's, the stakes are very high because the budget is very high, but I would say like, you know, I learned a lot from that too. And I also, you know, cause I kind of, they found me because I was in, um, uh, Angels in America, I was playing Harper and they came, the casting people came to see it in Boston and they were like, well, you, you would be a really good mental patient. And they <laughs> said, Thank you. That's what every um, girl wants to hear. You know what? It is a dream. <laughs> it's really, it's always been ever since I was a little girl. You know how Lexi wanted to be a dancer? I wanted to be a mental patient. Um, and so that dream came true outside of Boston in a really scary former mental institution. Um, but, you know, I, I basically went into it as kind of a glorified extra, but I ended up talking to Marty like through the experience and you know, he likes a quiet set, but when people, you know, we would, we just ended up chatting. And so we kind of had this like fun little rapport and he'd be like, Oh, Bree's here, you know, like keep the razor blades away from her. You know, she's going to go crazy, you know? And so we ended up like having this really fun time together. And and I remember that we were filming one scene and, and uh, this second, like the first or second AD came out and was like, I just want to let you know that during this scene, like uh, Marty kept saying, tell Leo to move over. I can't see Bree. I was like, <laughs> I was like, thank you. That made my day. Tell Leo to move over. I can't see. No, I know it was purely for the shot, but still, it really made me laugh. So at the end of it, you know, I had filmed several days on it. And at the end of it, like Marty and his um, AD came up and said, listen, we didn't really know you. We didn't know that you were going to be a part of this, but you were totally underused. And so can we give you a name? Uh, so that you'll get residuals. Um, so I ended up getting that's, you know, and so basically they gave me female patient so that I get some residuals. So every once in a while I'll be like, oh, people in Germany are still loving Shutter Island. <laughs> I have $20 in my pocket, um, which was, it was really, really generous of them. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to think about that. And so to me, I'm like, oh, Marty, man, you got a special place in my heart. Um, so, and, and then working with Sean, of course, was just, it was a completely different experience because he had had a certain level of success with Tangerine and with uh, Florida Project. And I really respected him as a filmmaker and as an artist, but I didn't really know, you never know when you're going in, like, is it going to be completely like, this is the way we do it. This is how, you know, you want to respect their vision. But I really felt like I said before, he was so collaborative and so like interested in engaging in my thoughts and my opinions. And, and he added several scenes, you know, like uh, that scene with Lonnie at the fence was completely added that day. I mean, he was just like, I think maybe we need a scene with Lexi and Lonnie to kind of, so we can see why Lonnie was kind of, you know, and how Lexi turns it on to kind of get what she wants with Lonnie. And I was like, yeah, you know, and, and also the scene at the fence with Mikey and Lexi, that was completely added. Um, and I think it shows a rare, beautiful moment between them where you can see how 
comfortable they are with each other sharing a cigarette. I mean, there's something very intimate about that. And, you know, so I, I, I just think Sean was so game to be like, well, let's do this. Let's add this or let's, you know, and, and he's so playful and has this energy that's so um, open. So yeah, I, I, I feel very fortunate that knock on wood, most of the experiences I've had, which have been very few, but the ones that I have had have been really, really wonderful. I wanted to ask, um, what is next for you? We saw that you have a film in post-production right now yes. titled Sometimes I Think About Dying. Yeah. Is there anything, any teasers you can give us about that? That is going to be really an interesting um, film with Daisy Ridley as the lead. Um, I had a few days on the film and uh, I play a, a server in Astoria, Oregon, and it was really an awesome experience. And I really enjoyed working on that. It's dark. It's moody. It's Astoria in the fall in Oregon. I mean, it's just... It's going to be, yeah, I mean, I don't want to say too much, but it, but yeah, I was very excited to be a part of that. And um, yeah, really so much fun to work with uh, Daisy and Dave, who's the other lead. And yeah, it was great. Oh man, that just got me so excited. I, yeah. My dog is, is just off screen. Her name is Ray. <laughs> Oh, named oh, after Daisy's well character. Then, oh, you're going <laughs> to love it. And she's and, like playing this character. That's so just, yeah, she's, she's one of my favorite scenes involves uh, us like breaking open crabs. And she was such a good sport because she's a vegetarian. Um, Daisy is. And so she was like, all right, here we go. You know, and she's just like cracking into it. And I was like, you're doing great, Daisy. Cause <laughs> the, you're making me like maybe want to become a vegetarian by watching the way that you're cracking open these crabs. She was, I mean, she was vicious, but I mean, that was the point of the scene, but anyway, you'll see it. You'll see. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> what a tease. What a tease. I'm I know. very excited. Okay. You're going to love it. Well, that would lead me to a question. If you had a question that was what filmmaker. Perfect. That does okay, lead us well, right into the last question. Do you have any um, filmmakers that we should check out that maybe Rachel we haven't heard of? Rachel Lambert, who is the director of that film that I just was talking about, um, did an amazing film called In the Radiant City. Um, she is an incredible filmmaker. And I really think that um, this film with Daisy is going to launch her into a different place. And she just, she's got a really interesting eye and I highly recommend that movie. Rachel Lambert is, yeah, is one to check out. Awesome. We will absolutely be adding that to the list. We're very very excited Dude. and you heard that yes. audience rachel yes. lambert rachel lambert, rachel lambert. you the name. heard it here first in the radiance yes. go watch it it's great perfect so that does wrap up our interview thank you so so much brie for being yes. here today we thank really you. appreciate thank you for taking, taking the time. time oh my god yeah. my pleasure thank you so much for having me it was such a treat to uh to be here and chat with you guys and uh yeah thank you and you had some really interesting stuff about you know the industry and then also like really fun stories from on set and uh just about red rocket i'm excited oh, to share it with the audiences oh good yay go see red rocket everybody yes don't forget to watch it. red rocket it. Yeah. it should be streaming soon <laughs> oh awesome yep. nice yep yeah awesome awesome because i had to go well, to a theater guys. about two and a half hours away to see it so oh. <laughs> i'll be excited to watch it at home yes watch <laughs> the second viewing at home with your pup with ray and some popcorn 
That's the idea. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Have Thank a good night. On. Yeah, Bye. you too. You too. Take care. You too. That was our interview with Brie Elrod. We hope you enjoyed it. Big thank you to Brie for joining us. She was a lovely guest and she really shared a lot of insight. If you haven't seen it yet, go check her out as Lexi in Red Rocket and get excited for her role in the upcoming film, Sometimes I Think About Dying. Yeah, guys, definitely. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Brie, for coming on the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Super looking forward to what is next for her. Uh, She really did have a star turn in Red Rocket, and I can see her really only going up from here. You all heard it from her right at the end. Rachel Lambert's one to keep an eye on, and she put us on. So uh, don't waste that hot tip. Get excited. Watch your work. And uh, know that we're going to see more Brie in that upcoming movie. Thank you again to Brie. And, yeah, I want to echo everything that both you guys said, especially Gardner when you're talking about her in the future definitely going to have a career to look out for in my opinion so i'm excited to see her in that new movie sometimes i think about dying but i also want to see where she goes after that so very excited for that and i'm sure our audience is excited to follow her after that awesome interview that does it for this week's episode stay tuned for our episodes next week on thursday we will have a recap of chapter six of the book of boba fett and next friday we will have our next full-length episode On that episode, we will be discussing Lady Macbeth, the 2016 British drama film. Get excited for that and stay tuned because we're going to have a guest come on to talk to us about that film and why they love it. So we'll see you next week for those episodes. Be sure to watch The Book of Boba Fett and check out Lady Macbeth before our Friday episode. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at GoodDataPod and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are GDT everywhere you listen to podcasts. That's all for this week. We'll talk to you next Thursday for our bonus episode and again on Friday for a full one. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next week. I'm Frank Dixon, a private detective. I'm the guy you call to catch a cheating spouse in the act or find a missing person. But I think I'm in over my head with this job, hunting down a serial killer who murdered someone close to my client. And I'm Dusty. Frank took me in and cleaned me up. And I've been his assistant ever since. Most cases are open and shut, but this one has me scared for Frank and anyone involved. If you'd like to ride along with us through the back alleys and violent streets of Darkrim, feel free. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to audio fiction. Neon Shadows, a noir tale.